with a formula when Jesus had finished. And uh, this is one of them. Uh, some of the sermons are slightly interactive. This one is just a bit. Some of them are more interactive than this one. Um, but Jesus has been talking about relationships in his kingdom. He's encouraged people to humble themselves, not to cause others to stumble. He's dealt with what you do if a brother sins against you, how you're trying to recover him by going privately first and then taking one or two more, and then even telling it to the church. And that's where we had ended. So somebody read 18 to 20. bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Okay, I think that it's best to understand this passage flowing from verse 17. When he says in verse 17, when you've got this brother who sinned against you and he won't correct it, then if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It's in this context of essentially the church um, cutting their social contact with him the church expelling him, that he talks about whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. I think what he's saying is that when a church disciplines an unfaithful member, a sinning member who refused to repent by God's authority, that God recognizes that discipline. Um, that, you know, if a church properly um, let someone be to them as a Gentile and a tax collector, it's not just what the church is doing. You know, God also excludes that person from his fellowship. Again, he says in 19, if you, two of you agree on earth about anything that you may ask, it'll be done by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. I think he's saying that when you've got a legitimate church, when you've got when you've got uh, a group gathered together in his name, that the Lord is present with them, and therefore that if they properly uh, discipline an unfaithful member, that, that God's with them in that, that God recognizes that. That's a tough passage to know exactly what he's talking about, but he's been talking in all of this about the relationship of brethren to each other. So it seems to me that he's talking about kind of the authority of a group of Christians to deal with members who sin who refuse to correct it. Thoughts and comments about that? So verse 18, some translations say, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And others say, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Do you think that's one's better than the other? Or does it make the latter is slightly better, but as long as we understand that, you know, it's not that the church can just give commands to God. It all comes out in the same place. But most, I think most scholars would say the latter is a little bit better reflection of the original. 
Other thoughts? The next section is quite a bit uh, easier to understand and harder to practice. So 21 to 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slave. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him ten thousand talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with lost it, uh, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. When that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and he, see he, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. One of the things that comes up in our relationship with each other as Christians is times when we wrong each other. And Peter wants to know what the standard is as far as forgiving. He asks how often. Should I forgive my brother uh, up to seven times? And I assume Peter probably thought he was being really generous in that. Was should I forgive him that many times, up to seven times? And what was Jesus' answer? What did he mean by that? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, if if we even you know discussing what limitation there should be on how often we forgive, we're thinking like the world thinks. We're not thinking in godly terms. You know, 70 times 7 doesn't mean count up to 490 and make sure you don't forgive in the 491st time. It's really just saying unlimited. And Jesus tells a story to help us understand the point. But this is a really amazing story. You've got this king who's got a slave who owes him money. How much money did that slave owe him? <laughs> yeah. A an amount of money that was just unbelievable. 10,000 talents. Now there's, uh, you know, perhaps uh, varying ideas about how much exactly that was, but there's some things we know about that. The annual taxes of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea combined were about 600 talents a year. The whole tax revenue from those whole areas. You know, it's pro that was probably more money than was in circulation in that region. I mean, to owe 10,000 talents is just unbelievable. 
Someone has calculated that a laborer would have to work 193,000 years to earn that much money. So Jesus, Jesus just picked out a sum of money that's just incredible. How could anybody have squandered that much money? I mean, what would he have done with it? And, 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 and you know, what does the man tell the king? I'll repay you. <laughs> yes, yeah, just be patient, I'll repay you. Like, with what? You know, there's no way. You know, there's no way you could ever pay off a debt like that. But, I mean, desperate people will do anything to get out of the immediate jam. And what does the king say? What does he do? Grant some mercy. Yeah, he's compassionate to him. He forgives him the debt. I mean, like he just writes it off. That's just amazing. You know, that it's, a, it's incredible that he could have ever gotten himself in a position where he owed that much. And maybe in some ways even more incredible that he would just, you know, say, it's, it's over. I forgive the debt. And so wasn't that wonderful? Now this man who was forgiven the debt went out and found a fellow servant. And what was the situation of this fellow servant? He would have a hundred. Yeah, a hundred denarii. That's different. Ten thousand talents, a hundred denarii. A denarius was a day's wages. So he owed him a hundred days wages. It's still a decent amount of money. You know, I don't know what we consider a day's wages to be uh, for us, but, you know, even if it was, uh, you know, $50, you know, there's $5,000, and maybe, maybe you make more than that in a day, I don't know. So if I were $10,000, I mean, I'd, you know, it's not just like lunch money. Uh, but it was nothing compared to what this man had owed the king. And what does this servant, well, what, look, look at verse 28. He seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So he's already resorting to violent measures. And what does this debtor slave say to him? The same thing that he had said. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, he says, have patience and I'll repay you. The only thing is, in this case, that was actually possible. <laughs> in the other case, it was just words. But how did this uh, slave that, uh, that had lent the money, how did he react to that? Yes, he's going to have his rights. You know, this guy didn't have the money to pay, he gets put in jail. What do you think about that? It's wrong because his Lord granted him mercy. It's outrageous, don't you think? Yeah. Even, even having not been even if he had not been forgiven his debt, it still wouldn't be, you know, it makes it even more obvious or outrageous, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, that wouldn't be the right way to treat somebody if they ask for mercy, you know, in, even in a debt like that. You know, first of all, he tried to kind of choke it out of him, and then he's going to throw him in jail until he pays? Well, what kind of money do you make in jail? I mean, it doesn't even seem very reasonable to do that. But what's so much more outrageous is this comparison. You know, he doesn't extend just a little bit of mercy to the guy who owed him money when his 
the one who had lent to him showed him just an incalculable amount of mercy. It's just, it's like, this story couldn't really be real. This is just unbelievable all the way around. And there are some people who go and tell the king what had happened and how did he feel? Outraged. Yeah, wow. He called him in and said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? And uh, so he was angry and handed this guy over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. You know, what's the lesson in this? against us or wrong against us but we're not willing to forgive you know we look just like this first individual in the story do we see it that way no why not because we're human yeah what, what do we not see properly yeah I think that's it I think it's never dawned on us how much we owed that God forgave us you know and if we never really realize how horribly indebted we were and how hopeless our situation was, then we may never really appreciate our forgiveness. But if we understand what we owed and how God so just lavishly and generously forgave us, then, you know, wow, for us to, to be stingy with forgiving and to be hard-nosed, and nobody's going to do that to me, you know, and I, he hurt me too bad, and I'll, wow, it's, it, it, once you really look at it that way, that's just terrible, you know, to receive so much forgiveness and give so little. And look at what he says in verse 35, how do we need to forgive our brother? From your heart? Yeah. What's that say? Sincerely? Yeah. You know, sometimes we forgive just in words. I forgive you. You know, uh, because we know we're supposed to say that. It's like the parent making the little kid say, say you're sorry. Yeah. To his brother or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can tell he's not one bit sorry. You know, and we may do that. We may say, I'll forgive you. But I'm sure not going to forget it. Don't you ever do it to me again. And, you know, I'm going to tell everybody you did it too. You know, remind you every chance I get. You know, he's saying unreserved, thorough forgiveness that restores the relationship and that, that truly demonstrates love for the person. Is it easy to forgive? When is it hardest to forgive? When it's someone you really, really trusted that broke the trust? Yes. When we're really deeply betrayed and when what they did really hurt us. You know, there's some things that are easy to forgive because it wasn't a big deal to us anyway. You know, that hardly requires forgiveness, some little slight or something that, you know, didn't, didn't really matter. But but when it when we feel betrayed and, and, and when we've really been hurt, that's when it's hard to forgive. And, and I think there's a lot of people who just really have a hard time, you know, bringing themselves to the point of, of, of really forgiving. 
But seeing this story and really meditating on how much we have owed that God forgave us should really help us a lot in granting that same forgiveness. If we say, I just can't, I just can't forgive. Well, we're really saying, I can't be forgiven. Because God will forgive us if we don't forgive. Comments and thoughts on this? We should really be so much more, so much quicker to forgive because we're no better than the person who wronged us. Yes. Uh, we can't really hold that against them, but you know, God has, if anyone has the right to not forgive, it's God because he has the highest standards. Uh, it's often the other way around. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> wow. Do we, you know, I don't know. Sometimes it's like we almost think too much of ourselves. Like, well, you know, it's just not right. Nobody should do that to me. You know, how, how could they possibly hurt me like this? It's like as if, you know, who do, who do I think I am? You know, have we ever thought about how God felt, how he feels uh, about us when, when we hurt him? You know, maybe, again, I think the key is to recognize the greatness of the debt we owed that was forgiven. Other thoughts or questions? You said that, like, the forgiveness should be sincere and should restore the relationship. But I feel like you have to be really careful with stuff like that because you don't want to be taken advantage of either. You can, like, I understand the forgiveness part, but not necessarily the restoration of the relationship. I don't necessarily mean restoring the person to the same position, depending on the situation, but restoring the relationship. You, you return to having a, a relationship without a barrier, without a grudge. There would be times when you might not Say you, uh, you were uh, the owner of a business and somebody, the cashier, stole from the, from the you know, cash register. Well, it probably wouldn't be a good idea to put the cashier back working the cash register again. <laughs> That'd be a temptation to them, you know. But, but you would not continue to hold a grudge and, and, you know, kind of keep the person at a distance. We do risk being hurt again when we forgive. I mean, really, any forgiveness that's significant, to forgive them means we're subject to being hurt again, just as the Lord is subject to being hurt by us over and over again. I don't know if that clarifies that. Further thoughts or questions or disagreements? Well, and when Jesus had finished these words in the beginning of chapter 19, so we're moving on from this sermon. Um, and, and really, uh, sometimes it's hard to know how to kind of look at sections of this, but especially in these next couple of chapters, Jesus is saying so many things that really turn on their head you know, conventional wisdom and conventional values. He says things throughout chapters 19 and 20 that just seem so wrong and, and you know, there'll be various things he'll say and do that just, you know, it really challenges how we look at things and how we think about things. Jesus was not above challenging people's thinking. 
And he's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about children. He's going to talk about riches. He's going to talk about the reward that he's going to give us. He's going to talk about exaltation. He's going to do something about blindness. And in all of those, he's going to say and do some things in practically every story that's like, no. You know, that can't possibly be right. You know, because, because Jesus has a whole different standard. And so he's constantly challenging our very value system and how we look at everything. I don't think there's anybody in the scriptures that is more challenging in what he says than Jesus. So, chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came to him and tested him by by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, 